live from San Diego Comic-Con 2020. What you gonna do when Grant and Abalone and Block Mania run wild over you? Fair. It's a fair I question. I am Ryland Grant, screenwriter, Ringo Award-winning creator of fine comics like Suicide Jockeys and Fa Shang Origins, The Other Voice in the Dark, the man sitting to my left is... Uh, David Abalone, uh, comic book writer, day drinker, and uh, panelist. Love it, panelists, panelists. Not in that order. (laughs) If you miss any of our previous episodes, uh, shows featuring comic luminaries like David F. Walker, Matt Fraction, Stan Sakai, and all of these fine people uh, more than a few times, our entire catalog can be celebrated uh, via Apple Pods, YouTube, and wherever you get your ear cracks, so double on back and check it all out. Uh, great show for you today. Not a, a live panel at, uh, at the All-Star Game, at the World Series, at all of that stuff rolled into one, San Diego Comic-Con. So why don't we get into it, Abalone? Well, what we usually like to start with is just give a quick introduction of yourself. Let's start with David Pepos. Uh, hi, uh, I'm David Pepos. Uh, Rio I pronounced Ward. it right. Uh, Yeah, I'm David Pepos. Uh, I'm Ringo Award-winning writer of books like Savage Avengers, uh, uh, Avengers Unlimited, and Fantastic Four. Hi, and I am also David on this panel. There, I think, is three. Three, three Davids. Uh, (laughs) That is the maximum allowable number of Davids on a panel. Uh, Uh, My name is David. (laughs) (laughs) Boo says David Trader. By the way. You're still day drinking, David. <laughs> we had a fourth, David. I, I, I believe at some point we had we, we, we had an online panel and, and, and we we had uh, we had, had Trader Skype in or whatever, so yeah. we could. I think so it goes anyway. on that too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Crisis on Infinite Days. Yeah. All right. Uh, yeah. The nice thing is that Ashley let us call her David for a while. Yeah. Thank and, David. And, and sorry. These are the Davids I know. So this David. Uh, my name is David Brewer, and I write. Canto for IDW, Killer Queens for Dark Horse, uh, Joe Hill's Reign for Image, and uh, all-new Firefly for Boom Studios. Ashley Robinson. I am also David. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm Ashley, though, so I'm usually there's about 125 of us. So today I am Ashley Victoria Robinson. I am a Ringo Award-losing comic book writer for the Jupiter Jet series and the graphic novel Science, the Elements of Dark Energy. My new comic, Aurora in the Eagle, is available for pre-order right now. Um, and if you watched FX's Snowfall, you might have seen me waving my arms around in one of the episodes. Because she was on the yes. crap. <laughs> <laughs> Charlie Stickney, John. Uh, Charlie Stickney, a comic book writer of uh, things like White Ash, uh, The Game, The Adept for Immortal Studios. Uh, I also spend some time over at Scout Comics as co-publisher over there. Very nice. Well, we've, and we've also my father's name is David, so it was almost there. Oh. <laughs> there you go. Fair enough. So we, 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 if you look at the program, it lists this as the post-pandemic. Uh, and when I told someone that title, they were like, post, you say? There was a second pandemic declared on Tuesday. Right? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> look, 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 look. These, these proposals are due months in advance. Yeah. Yeah. Things are winding down. It, it was felt hopeful. like we were going to be post by the time we got very here. Hopeful. But, but, I mean, but, but I mean, this is something to discuss, right? When the, yeah. when the hell is this thing going to end? Right? Yeah. But and, and, and how do you, how do you ride that wave and deal with it? Sorry, I'm interrupting. No, that's good. That, yeah. That's all. Those are all good questions. So as the currently mid Omicron, I think we're between Omicron five and Omicron B- six. BA five. Uh, oh yeah, o- Omicron five electric boogaloo, which is my favorite of the Omicrons. Mm-hmm. Uh, the the question that Ryland uh, came up with that we wanted to to start out with is how has 
how has this affect publishing? How has this affected comic books? What do you think the effects are going forward? And we'll start at the end with the. Uh, we'll start at the at the far corner of the Hollywood Square. Yeah, and, 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 yeah, can I be Paul Lind? I'm in the middle. Yes. You're Paul. Hello, everybody. I can't do Paul Lind. There's a larger discussion. Like this is what sure. I see in the you know in the industry where the industry is headed. But I mean, you guys are all creators. You have your ideas. You're trying to, to get those set up in places. And, and how has that process changed? Because for me, it's radically different. And there are fewer opportunities and different opportunities, and and you have to present them in a different way, and all of these things. So let's let, let's dive into that a little bit, and we'll just keep it freewheeling. You know, I mean, if if, if, if you have a, a question of, of, your, of your panelists, if you have a comment, you know, uh, if you want to hit them with a steel chair, let's let's rock and roll. It's late. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think for 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 me, um, yeah, I I I, I, it, it, I I think the the usual sort of acquisitions channels, you know, they they certainly shrank a bit um, uh, as the pandemic started, and I think that at least in, in my experience, that really kind of forced me to kind of think outside of the box a little bit. Um, you know, for me, um, uh, Kickstarter was a really helpful um, outlet. Uh, during uh, the pandemic, and it continues to be, um, where, you know, it was sort of, especially when the pandemic began and, and Diamond had their shutdown, um, there were a lot of publishers who were not taking anything. There were a lot of projects that were getting kind of either frozen or killed on the spot, and I I thought to myself, you know, maybe don't wait for permission. Um, you know, I think that's something that a lot of people in our business, they say, well, I need a publisher to validate me. And I think now, you know, everything is shifting online. Um, and especially with uh, Kickstarter, you can kind of cut through that red tape and you can kind of market your own books uh, to your customer base and wind up bringing home, I think, like a, a much more significant um, uh, revenue out of that. Yeah, I think in a great sort of cosmic irony, the fact that we all, everything shut down and we all stayed home for so long, it actually created a, um, an opportunity for us to connect directly with uh, you know, readers and fans, so we didn't have to necessarily go go through the shops. And it's like Kickstarter. I'm very active on the Whatnot app, and that's literally congregating all of the folks that want to buy my comics into one room for an hour and just you know talking with them and that sort of thing. So I think for me, it's it's created this opportunity to make those direct connections. So whether or not you're going through a publisher, whether or not you're going through Kickstarter. It's uh, uh, reaching out and finding those people and making that uh, like specific connection with the reader and cutting out all the middle. Oh, I was going to say nonsense, but I love I love the retailers. I love the some retailers. Of, some of our best best friends are nonsense. But even like the retailers, the right early on there were shops that would just like reach reached out to the creators and were like, do you have books for us? Because Diamond isn't shipping anything, and we shipped my uh, the artist on Canto has another book called The House, and he would he reached out to retailers, and he literally sent boxes of this book that was on Kickstarter to retailers, and they had that to sell instead of Batman, instead of Marvel books. And he sold through all of his stock in like six months or something because they needed things to sell. So sort of cutting out that middle, I think, is what has changed so much since we've all been here. Well, it lowers the bar on a lot of this stuff that you have to clear to make this... Um doable, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, for us, you know, we're, we're not getting rich writing, uh, uh, you know... Wait, what? Tens, <laughs> those tens of dollars in comics? Come yeah. on. But, 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 but it's, you know, 
but it is, I mean, you need to be able to fund these things, right? You need to pay your artists, you need to pay all, you know, your your, your letterers, you know, your, your out of pocket for, for these things. And it's nice to get that back. It allows you to do the next one, right? And, um, you know, here's the thing is like if you, you go to one of these big publishers, right? You're, you're, you're giving away a lot of your, uh, you're giving very little back uh, sometimes, you know? Um, but that publisher then has to sell a ton of comics to, to make their state back, mm -hmm. right? Um, you know, it can be tens of thousands that, that, that they need to sell to, to make things right, for you to get a little money in your pocket. If you go to Kickstarter, if you go to whatnot, you can sell a couple hundred copies of something and make a very serious chunk of change. You know, I mean, I look at, I look at the Jump Number One Kickstarter, I had, you know, 300 and, I don't know what it was, 325, 350 backers, $16,000, you know, that, that, that paid for, that paid for that first issue, it paid for the next issue, it kept the comic going, and I went and did it again, and, and that, that's very meaningful money, and it's not a very high bar to clear, right? No. It makes this stuff doable for you, you don't need this big machine behind you, and that's, that's really interesting. Just as a quick comparison, um, when you sell directly, you know, it's $4 comic, so whatever it costs you to print it, you might be making $2, you know, something like that. Going through a publisher, and if I'm splitting with, this is like how the sausage is made, right? You go through a publisher and you split it with your artist, I, it's 32 cents per copy. Yeah. So that's 10 copies, it's $3, and that's not even a coffee, coffee you know what I mean? So you got to sell so many copies. And, and I, I do say that, you know, not that we need sympathy for the devil, but when you work a Kickstarter, I recommend it to people partially because you, you become a publisher and you go, holy shit, the margins on printing comic books are terrible. This is a really difficult industry in which you make money. And in like, I don't want to say I never had sympathy for the publishers I was working for, but I had way more sympathy when I went, wow, you got to sell about 6,000 of these things. Like if, if you don't sell 6,000 of these things, you're losing money. But that's, I think, I think what like, the pandemic especially has made relevant is like where shortcomings are being seen. And I think we're seeing that a lot in traditional publishers, naming no publishers who have closed or um, <laughs> fired a lot of people recently or the multiple <laughs> ones that are uh, currently being sued um, How for, recently, for various issues. I said naming no. Mentioning <laughs> that name is obviously not important. Exactly. Oh my God. <laughs> but they're not the only ones no, since, of since 2020. Not. Um, and, well, and that was pretty good, right? It was. But the, the other thing that I think the pandemic also made it incredibly clear is like not only where the shortcomings are in the industry, but then when the shortcomings are, as you as the individual creator, uh, like for Aurora, for my first issue, I spent the last six weeks begging the printer to print the books that I had already paid for. And I had to really bend over backward to get that done and make a lot of demands and they're a publisher who works with a male creator who I work with very closely and his books came in a week and mine came in six and a half um, and that's still stuff that it's changing incrementally and I think that's been a real blessing about all of this happening and it happening to people from licensed publishing you know all the way down to people making comics and printing them in their bedroom. And it's weird to be in an industry that's been alive for hundreds of years. And we're, I feel like we're in an adolescence right now. We're in this immense growth period that nobody quite understands. So we make our jokes and our anagrams, but we're all just trying to get through it together. Well, yeah. And I, I think what you're hitting on here is, is so important. Like the, the comic book industry had been done one way for the last 60 years. 
And it's moving so quickly and everyone wants to jump on this train. No one's questioning where this train is going, whether the train has fuel in it. Does it actually make sense to be on this train? And then the <laughs> is, there any, is there any track ahead of us? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, 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 is there someone tied to the track? Oh, it's just the artist. Yeah, Don't worry yeah, about yeah, yeah. it. We'll get another one down the road. So like, <laughs> yeah, so like, but, yeah and, and I think that's, that's the thing that, you know, that the pandemic really did. It stopped the train. Yeah. And everyone got off the train and looked around and said, this isn't maybe the best way to do this. Yeah. And you had like the, the indie creators and you had the established creators and everyone kind of was like looking around like, well, there's Kickstarter. Is there going to be anything else I can do lives? Like, what else is there? Is there a different way to do this? So the pandemic, the, the pausing of things gave per people permission to sort of reset and say, you know what? We could maybe build a better train. Yeah. And so now, like, there are different trains that are being sort of tested out. You know, uh, Kickstarter had been around since 2014, but for the longest time, pros who had established credits were like, oh, no, Kickstarter, I don't yeah. want to go there yeah, and make where, lots of it's money. It's where books, failed books go to get money, right. you know what I mean? Right, that's right. Yeah. But, but also, a lot of those books did really well. Yeah. Right. well I know, books that's that when it started changing. down did so well coming up Kickstarter. And those people, they have way, way more tens of dollars than we do in yeah. comics. Yeah. So, so I, I think that's what the pandemic did. It stopped us. Now, I think... You know, smaller emerging publishers have a chance to sort of say, here's the new landscape. Is there a better way to do this? Mm -hmm. And creators 100% should be saying, what's the best way for my brand right, yeah. going forward to support what I want to do? Is it whatnot? Is it Kickstarter? Is it something else that we're still trying to figure out right now? Yeah. Um, Shout because, out to Zoop. Yeah. Uh, there being a Kickstarter Zoop. competitor. Uh, yeah. <laughs> well, like a Zoop well, backer kit. Like, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but, that's a, but that's a great point, actually. Uh, you know, I think in general the pandemic was a stress test for all of human endeavor. <laughs> you know, we can talk about comics, but literally it tested everything. And I don't want to overly uh, bash Diamond, but everyone sort of put up. I worked at comic book retail, I will. Yeah, you can feel free. But, but there was one way, literally one way, to get a comic book in a comic book store. For how many decades? Two decades? Three decades? I can't remember how long Diamond's predominance was. Since the 90s, I think. Yeah, and Kickstarter and, and to a lesser degree Indiegogo were the only... And, you know, no business does well. No business is operating at maximum efficiency when there is one company. It's just not... Because there's no incentive for Diamond to do it better. There's no incentive, even honestly, for Kickstarter to do it better. To that point, I just yeah. talked, spoke with Oriana uh, yesterday, mm -hmm. and she was saying to me, you know, I think the emergence of other crowdfunding platforms is good. It's because there great. should be competition, and it's easier for her to push more changes towards Kickstarter when yeah. they aren't the only fish. And Oriana is still at Kickstarter. Oh, yeah, yeah. She's Oriana Lecker yeah. is, is Kickstarter's head of publishing. Yeah. 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 So it, it's a very good thing actually, for Diamond to have to compete with Simon & Schuster and Random House. And also, there's, there's an overall thing. I think most Americans, everyone, in, I see a lot of professional comic book people in this room, so you know this, but people don't understand how small this market is. They see a Marvel movie make $500 million, a billion dollars, and they go, oh, comic books are huge. And you go, yeah, that comic book that sold movie tickets to literally everyone on the planet 
the Avengers is being bought by 50,000 people if they're lucky. That is a rounding error for the smallest screen in Duluth. When I was on the a, opening weekend of a superhero movie. When I was a head editor for an image imprint, we were always told that the sort of uppermost of the market was twelve thousand people. Yeah. I I was I worked on the yeah. Yeah. I worked on the development of the Red Sonia movie, which is still in development. And the rights holder reasonably objected to some things in our in our original pitch and said, Well the fans won't like this. And when he left I said to the people actually writing the movie and producing the movie, I said, I don't mean to, his points were very well taken, but let me show you the sales figures on Red Sonja comic books. Your, the number one might sell 30,000 copies. Yes. 30,000 copies are, 30,000 uh, audience members are a joke in terms of opening weekend box office. If those 30,000 people don't show up, we're going to do just fine. <laughs> if the trailer is good and the pre-release press is good and you get a good review, those 30,000 people saying, well, this isn't Robert E. Howard's Red Sonja. Well, actually, it never was. It's, Mar it's Roy Thomas's Red Sonja from the 1970s, but it's another story. But the idea of, like, we're going to piss off the comic book fans of whom there are 30,000 is not really a significant number. And this is all because of what happened. You know, Chaikin talks about this a lot, but in the 1950s, the entire industry got infantilized after the Frederick Wortham thing. And comic books, which originally were about anything and everything, and globally still are, became superhero comics. And Alan Moore has a great essay where he says, wouldn't it be weird if you said I'm writing a novel and someone said, oh, it's about nurses? And you said, no, my novel is about nurses. And you go... Wait, novels are always about nurses. Well, how could you possibly be writing a novel that's not about a nurse? And that's how crazy it is to the association of superheroes with comics. And again, globally, this isn't the case. Outside of the borders of the United States of America, people do not think comic books mean superheroes. And here, that's not even really what's happening. But that stigma still exists. And that idea in the, the mind of the comic book reader or more importantly, the person who does not read comic books. It is hard to convince that audience, no, seriously, read Love and Rockets. It's a fucking Fellini movie. It's yeah, not... Yeah, nobody one of the longest-running books of all time. Yeah, 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 right, and then there's that. Well, yeah, well, well, well here's the thing. Is it, it is hard to, uh, to convince the average person in Omaha, Nebraska of that. But what has happened, again, as a result of the pandemic and the fracturing that we were talking about, is that... Um, Comics, comic books became so much more. I mean, they always were so much more, but but people who wanted to tell a different kind of story could find their audience, right? You, it, 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 there used to be five gatekeepers in this business, right? And, and and they all basically did the same one or two things, and so you had to write those things if you wanted anybody to see it. Um, if you wanted to write, you know, a comic book about a, a dentist who, uh, you know, I don't know, is having marital issues or something like that, you couldn't. Now if you want to make that comic, you can take it to Kickstarter and you will find an audience for it. And so it's great for us because we can tell different kinds of stories, right? When you can see the, the big five gatekeepers are now adjusting to that. But that's but Because they the just thing. announced we the Tom King have, like, we huge... We still don't have, even yeah. with Image, even with any other publisher, we still don't have the Miramax... 
of comics. We well, I know, the, but we you, don't have the A24. Yeah. We have the Blumhouse yeah. in I mean, spades. Had, yeah, yeah. I mean, you, you had Vertigo, which was a version of that, and it didn't. Yeah, but that was still Blumhouse. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was yeah, still yeah, horror yeah, and yeah, science yeah, fiction, yeah, and yeah, the, you know, they weren't. The, the one other point I want to make is that it works both ways. It's great for us, but it is great for the reader. Oh yeah. Also, because there is, it is about ninety percent of our population that didn't until very recently see themselves in comic books, right? Uh, uh, this is who I am, this is where I come from, these are my values, this is my, you know, these are the choices uh, uh, that, that are valuable to me, and, and you did not see yourself reflected in comic books. Now you can go on Kickstarter, and no matter who you are, you, you can find yourself in a comic book, and that mm -hmm. is, that's wonderful, that's amazing. I was just going to say, and it, it is pushing the publishers because I have a book with Dark Horse called Killer Queens. It's, it's a, awesome. <laughs> it's really, it's really it's all LGBTQ creative team, and we just basically created Guardians of the Galaxy. And so Dark Horse took it on a major publisher, and it's done well for them, but I don't think a year, uh, I mean, they picked this up in 2021, I think, but 2020, 2019, they probably would not have taken a risk on that. Yep. But now that there's all these comics out there that you can get out there, regardless of publishers, now these publishers are like, oh no, we got to well, get on this train. Well, that, we that, know there's no track ahead, but we got to be on but it. That's also the thing that Kickstarter has taught them to a degree is that very thing that I said, that 30,000 people is a successful comic book. That's a tiny audience. Kickstarter has gone them, oh, wait a minute, that niche exists, and only having to sell 30,000 copies or 10,000 copies. We were just, Charlie and I were just talking, and he said his backers are like $45 to $50 a pop on average. Yeah. So if you got 30,000 people backing your Kickstarter at $50, that's math. Can you please send the 30,000 backers? <laughs> yeah. That would be really great. Let me send a group text. Your audience is big, but you know I mean. But I do think that what, you know, it's not just like the publishers are reacting, right? Mm -hmm. And the publishers are legitimizing these other channels. Mm -hmm. So it's now like, you know, the publishers are trying to get into Kickstarter. They're trying well, to they're get there. into whatnot. Dark Horse but, is like scooping up all of this right. crowdfunded books. But they never used to do that. There yeah. used to be a stigma yep. like, oh, you don't want to get a book from there. And now they're like, if I don't get the book from there, somebody else is going to get exactly. the book from there. And they realize that these things are different sales channels. And, and, no, and, 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 and this is not the first time this has happened, and I don't know why it takes us so long to learn the lesson. Like, the African-American community did not see themselves at the movie theater for a long time, or not enough, or in the wrong way, or whatever. And then you have somebody like Tyler Perry who steps in and says, I'm going to make what I want to see. Um, and overnight, you know, creates this billion-dollar business. And then the rest of Hollywood is like, oh my God, African American people want to go to the movies? Like, oh, oh my God. You but know, like, they also like, ignore his success for a decade. Yeah, of course they do. Like, yeah, he makes a billion yeah, dollars for years yeah. and years and years, puts out movie after movie, and it takes yeah. them forever to go, oh, yeah, yeah we can and, do and, that. If you go back that, okay, well, well, how long has Tyler Perry been a billionaire? Go back a decade before then. Comics could learn then. Yeah. You're just learning now. Yeah. It's crazy. <laughs> no, that's but, but Kickstarter also did learn that because, again, it's a good place of rallying communities. Mm -hmm. And so I think like the first group of books that did really well on Kickstarter were groups, books that had a built-in audience, whether it was uh, a 
POC book or an LGBTQ book or an anthology. Was like, Black in the first big group, the superhero book about where only Black Americans had superpowers? Was that the first big wave of Kickstarter or was that kind of the second one? That was like the second. But it was second. early. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and now that's launched an but entire inference. But that, that's <laughs> that's the thing when people ask me for advice on 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 Kickstarter and things like that, I do say like, think about who your audience is and think. I produced a movie that we raised the money on Kickstarter and then on we did production on Kickstarter and post production on Indiegogo, and it was an LGBTQ movie and I and there are people searching for that on Kickstarter. They're not necessarily searching for that, you know, maybe they're searching for it on Netflix and not finding it. But the degree to which there was an audience that wanted to see this movie simply because of the subject matter. They didn't necessarily know the actors, they didn't, but, you know, the, the Roger Corman uh, defined an exploitation movie in a positive way as a movie that sells itself on the premise, you know. Dinosaur prostitute. Well, who doesn't want to see that? <laughs> you know, but 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 the idea. All jokes aside, though, the idea of I want this premise. I don't care who's in it. I don't care who's making it. I want to see. It. I directed the lowest budget uh, karate movie ever made called uh, Karate is even unfair. Kickboxing movie ever made called Kick of Death, and it did fairly well. Incredible title. It did fairly. <laughs> I went to my local video store, and he's like, "Oh, this is out all the time," and I said, "Why?" Nobody's in it. We made it for $15,000. It's goofy. The sound mix is terrible. I was well aware of the... He said, have you seen The Room? <laughs> no, no, but, no, but his point was there are people who have seen every martial arts movie in The Room that we have, and they come in on a Friday, and Kick of Death is the one they haven't seen, and they don't care that it's bad. They want to see it's people kicking each other. Kick of Death? Kick of Death. So, Patata mortal, oh if you're in a I mean, Spanish language. <laughs> but, uh, Bravo. but I will say like that this speaks to, I think, one of the big things that's going to be coming out of the pandemic, and that's the, the one group of people that's having the hardest time adjusting to the changing landscape, I think, is the retailers. Yeah. Because like you know, publishers can eventually change the amount of content they put out, but the retailers have been cultivating certain groups of customers for the longest time. Mm -hmm. And that's where a place like Kickstarter or whatnot can reach whole new groups of, of people in ways that retailers who have just catered and built their stores business model yeah. around people who come in to buy Marvel and DC this week can't think like, I need to now devote 30% of my shelf space to titles that are not Marvel and DC. They, they've oh, yeah. also catered to like certain types of ordering systems. Like if you offer, we have a lot of success with a retailer slash educator bundle and you know the same seven shops in the country that are going to order that every time and they're going to push your book or they're going to email you for reorders in the way that you could reach out to um, a traditional retailer with a nice phone call and be like, I want to send you a PDF. And if you hate it, just like, forget I ever sent it to you. And you'll just get nothing back. Like, yeah. and it's, I think it goes, I think with retailers it goes, I was going to say it goes both ways. It goes a lot of ways. And we all love comic book stores. And it's going to be so interesting to see how like a local comic book shop evolves and we, everything else. We all love and, good comic books. Yeah, yes. and, and that's yes. the thing. They need to evolve. I mean, most of my work has been for Dynamite, and I don't know that I've ever written... If Vampirella is a superhero, I guess I've written a superhero yeah. once. But, but, that's a, a, but there are times when I travel, I always go in local comic book stores. And sometimes I walk in the door and go, these people are not going to have my comic. I don't see anything. That's not a cape book from Marvel or DC on these shelves. I don't see Dark Horse. I don't see Love and Rockets. I don't. So I I don't even need to look that hard to 
you know, to find it. And then there are shops where front and center, everything is that, you know, and it's that people have such a fear of encountering that Simpsons character and that Simpsons character did not come from nowhere. I have met that guy. He is a, a cancer on our industry. Worst panel ever. <laughs> no, I will tell you, my, my experience as a writer, I was writing Betty Page and I went to a comic book store that has changed hands so it doesn't matter who they were. But I was writing Betty Page. Say I walked names. in. It was it was blast off on on <laughs> on Lancashire Boulevard in Los Angeles. Shut them down. Taking out. I shut them down. Naming names. But I walked in and I said and I I didn't give away what was I said. Uh, do you have, know who I am? Do you no. have the link? No, I did exactly the opposite. I said, do you guys carry Betty Page? And the guy behind the counter literally did this. Nobody reads that. I was a customer asking about a book that I wanted. And instead of saying, there were a million ways, he could have said, I'll order that for you. If he knew anything about Betty Page, he could have said, you know, we don't have that, but we have this latest Batgirl graphic novel that is very similar in feeling to that. We have Greg Rucka's <laughs> Queen and Country, which is a female spy thing, like Betty Page. There were a million proper responses to that, even if he didn't have the book. But instead, he said, "Ugh, you're an idiot for that wanting that. Yeah, you're an idiot for wanting that thing that you want, and, and I, you should never say that to any customer ever." I just laughed. And this is what I think that, that creators need to start thinking about, and also publishers need to think about. Um, you know, when it comes to which stores are buying your content, in the past it was very difficult to get that information because Diamond didn't like to share that information. Um, as, as someone who's seen the orders come in, like if you, if actually if you have a deal with Lunar, they give you a spreadsheet which breaks down every single shop that ordered your books and what numbers. Oh my God. So you can see specifically which shops are ordering the bulk of your books. And like the sobering thing is to see like at a publisher like Scout, so even if a title sold like five, six, seven thousand copies, the majority of those books, at least through Lunar, went to like 250, 350 yep. shops. So rather than wasting your time on 3,000 stores around the country or 2,500 stores, if you can look at those 200 to 300 shops, and that's something that we could do as creators. Mm -hmm. That's something that you can do as a small publisher. You can focus on those things. So for me, the post, you know, it's, it's again, it's about paradigm shifts. And I think it's about finding, like on Kickstarter, you can rally your community. Yep. On whatnot, you can rally your community. As a publisher or creator, you can find the good stores don't waste the time with the stores that aren't going to appreciate or support what you do and micro-target mm -hmm. those stores that are going to carry your content. And that's like, again, it's about disrupting the system and looking at things and saying, this is what we should be doing going forward. Bring the content to the people who will support it. Yeah, That's a great alternate to that Google sheet that we all just send around to each other when somebody nice gets added to the list. <laughs> you know, you mentioned a paradigm shift. Something that I kind of noticed in the pandemic that I thought was kind of interesting is... Um, I've noticed also just like the the, the creative churn. Um, you know, for those who kind of know their comics history, uh, you know, the the invention of Image was kind of a big seismic shift. Sort of the biggest names of Marvel and DC, they all left and they started their own their their own their own um, their own publisher. But what happens? There's a vacuum as a result of that. And I think um, Substack was kind of like the image exodus in a lot of ways during the pandemic. There were a lot of uh, established creators at, at Marvel and DC who said, you know, I think the, the pandemic kind of scared them a little bit. And they said, you know, Substack is coming in and they're looking to pay creators. 
And so what happened is a lot of sort of very established creators, they either reduced their big two work or they left their big two work entirely or they sort of saw that as the off ramp. And I know, I, I attribute that to a lot of the success I've had over the last year um, where I've sort of been able to play with some really big toys over at Marvel um, because we've been seeing a lot of people either kind of switching companies or leaving the big two altogether to focus on their creator-owned work. And I think that's been really interesting because, you know, everybody starts somewhere, you know. Um, uh, your, your favorite creators, they all started on some sort of book that, you know, kind of started getting some buzz, started getting some heat, whether that is a creator-owned or, or, or a licensed book. And I think the pandemic was really like a big catalyst for that. And I think you're starting to see like really interesting creators kind of coming up on on some of these the, these books, you see somebody like Matt Rosenberg who got his start at Marvel, and now he's he's uh, just announced a new Joker book over at DC. Um, you see like a lot of new names who are starting to pop up at these prestige publishers, whether it's in licensed or in creator owned. And I think you know that's kind of how the industry keeps itself going is through that churn. Mm -hmm. um, that's how it, it stays interesting, at least to me as a reader. So, so what you're saying is that you got Savage Avengers because of COVID. <laughs> I just, just want again, that's that's clear. The right? only me, reason that he got that. It sounded to me like the Hunger Games, honestly. <laughs> I, 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 I mean, I think that I, I think there's another piece of this too. I mean, the the I mean, COVID leads to this streaming boom, uh, leads to this content boom, and suddenly comic books, creator-owned things, are selling like crazy, right? And so. This contributes to the churn in big ways because, okay, you're getting paid good money to write for DC, write for Marvel, but it's not yours, right? Um, uh, you know, of course, Substack is going to throw a bunch of money at you, and, and, and that's tantalizing and tempting. Um, uh, but also, okay, you know what? Instead of spending all my time writing whatever, Iron Man, writing, uh, you know, this or that, I've already made my name doing that, right? I have a name because of that, so now I can go to Image or Substack or wherever and create my thing. And then if and when it becomes a big Netflix series, then then I have I have what we call fu money. You know what I'm saying? Like it, it's not just a good payday. Uh, you get that series made, and it is it is substantial, right? Um, and so you see these people taking their shot, you know. And and I think COVID has COVID has created the perfect storm for that. It's like okay, well I am I am because I made my 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 name at. at, at at Marvel, at DC, I am now in a place to, to cash in this big chip. But, yeah, but I would say a quick caveat on that is because yeah. of the contraction recently of some of the buying by the streaming companies, yeah, yeah, yeah. that may also you know filter back to comics. So yeah. we may be in for a little bit of a dip here uh, before it goes back up as they try to figure yeah. out where the, the streaming is going. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 yeah that's, no, that's and it, uh, you know, there's there's a, there's a balance to everyone who works in this industry. Uh, there are people who, more than anything else, want to create their own stories and do their own thing. And there are people who only want to draw Batman, mm -hmm. who only want to draw the Avengers. I think most of us are a little column A, a little kind of column B. But the publishers always, the big two particularly, they count on how badly you wanted to draw Batman. They count on, you know, I, I did a Zorro thing once, and when they, the, the publisher told me the page rate before they told me the character. And he said the page rate over the phone, and in my mind I went, never in a million years am I working for you guys. <laughs> and they said, it's Zorro, and nine-year-old me went, oh, fuck. <laughs> I gotta write Zorro, man. I cannot write Zorro. Yeah, here's the thing, is, that, is that there are plenty of people who write Superman once, right? 
that for whatever reason, you know, like the, 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 the people in charge just didn't click with them, right? Then there are the people that they come on, you know, they write, uh, you know, they write a Savage Adventures book and Marvel's like, wow, this guy knows what he's doing. And they start throwing everything they possibly can at him. Uh, I don't know, I, 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 this is all hypothetical. I'm not talking about <laughs> anybody that, you know, is in the room or anything. Um, it, 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 they keep you extremely busy. You know, it's clear that you, you know what you're doing. And Marvel knows, okay, we hit a gold mine here. They're riding <laughs> that horse all the way. <laughs> so, so let's not give him a break. Let's not let him have a minute to do his creator-owned book. Um, and that is very hard to walk away from. Particularly, your nine-year-old self will not allow you to walk yeah. away from. Uh, uh, I'm, I'm talking about, you know, uh, David Pepos here. We're putting and, that nine-year-old to work. He loves these characters, <laughs> and, and, and he has a story he wants to do with every Marvel character that's ever existed. That's true. Um, it's the beauty of Savage Avengers is that <laughs> it, it's all of these, you know, it's all of these these sort of out there Marvel characters that he brought together, and he knows them so well, and and he has brought them to life in such an interesting way. And Marvel's like, wow, look what he did with them. What could right. he do with all of these guys? Um, it's gonna be a really and, long pull quote. But you write Alpha you. Flight. I'm coming for you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and, and so, so, so when somebody's in that groove, it becomes very hard to find the time and to walk away from the opportunity and all of those things. And so, so, so that's what we're seeing. But, but we finally hit this place during the pandemic where Substack was like, you know, we, we got to make a huge move. Let's throw, you know, let's back up the Brinks truck for some of these guys and gals, and let's rip them away, right? Yeah. And and. and they had to make it you can say out. guys, their top creators are they're the ones that they launched on were all men. Yeah. <laughs> the, the, uh, yes. There it is. Yeah. yeah. It, that is that is unfortunate yeah. and, and and yeah. Not that there aren't great women working on Substack, but their big name yeah, yeah. creators off the top were all men. Yeah. yeah. But and I also think that you have to, as a creator approaching this new pandemic, post post pandemic or Pre, what, what, mid, pre pandemic. Mid, mid, mid pandemic. Started 2.0. Oh, hopefully, God. like Woo. waning, but maybe just beginning. Yeah, Who knows? Whatever this new stage yeah. reality is. <laughs> this is the monkeypox stage of the <laughs> But, but you, it, you have to approach all this with caution. You know, because like Substack seems great for these established creators, but there was a first wave, and I'm not sure if there's going to be more because Substack isn't seeming to get their money, and I don't know if they will continue to push it. You know, But maybe they will. Yeah. So this may be the new thing. Mm -hmm. Whatnot is like booming. I am so glad that you are making money, you know, hand over fist at Whatnot. That's those tens of dollars against yeah, you. Yeah, it's like, <laughs> he has made, uh, you told me you made at least 11. But, but, like, <laughs> but my point is like, you know, you need to be careful because these things could take off and it could be the next big thing or it could be gone don't, in, yeah, you know. Yeah, don't put all your money on red. Yeah. And, and even platforms that we all like, yeah. I'm sorry for interrupting, um, like oh, we're all, I think we're a pretty pro Kickstarter panel. Kickstarter yeah. has had yeah. its ups and downs and its eras where things were better for creators, better for comics, yeah, yeah. and then worse. I think they're particularly good for comic books right now because- 79% uh, um, success rate in the comics books yeah. category no, and, and, any and career. now some of that is because people said very 50% well. of that's white ash and, well, and white ash <laughs> no, but I will Clarion say destroying there, right there, now. There, is a, there is a thing that I've noticed a lot of publishers do including my own where $500 or yeah, they set a budget total. that you're like that wouldn't you so that pays the penciler for the first two pages right. of yeah. the, your 30 page book and but you did that so you we were funded in an hour yeah with, with a budget that wouldn't 
produce a jack a chick track like you know that's not Wow, a chick track! I know, I made the deeper. I did deep, not I made, expect that. Reference. I did. I made it. I made it deep. Well, they are comic books. Yes. Uh, but that, and there's a small part of me that, like, I did one with. Uh, I was able to ask for seventy-five thousand dollars because my partner is Kevin Eastman. He has fans. We figured it would work out. But even on that, we were asking for seventy-five thousand dollars for an eighty-page book. The budget of that eighty-page book was a little more than seventy-five thousand dollars because we paid everyone really well because that's Kevin, but it's that thing of like, even we, even at $75,000, we were fudging like, we're gonna make more, so we'll be okay. And we ended up, on that first one, we made $106,000, which was great. But I see people like doing a single issue and they're like, we need $600. Like, you need a lot more than $600. <laughs> yeah. They could also be doing that's it still, poorly. Yes, they, could, yes. they could be doing it poorly, yeah. they could be underpaying someone, and that also happens. But that does like, so, that fudge, I'm just saying that, the 79% success rate, 100%. if your success rate is that you raised $1,000 for a book that's going to cost $20,000, you only succeeded in the most, you know, uh, inaccurate and dishonest way. So that is well, part of it. Yeah, yeah, I agree with you. There's also the scenario where you, you, you're putting it out for pre-orders. You're like taking the yeah. place of mm -hmm. Diamond. Oh, no, and there's... So you can do that, that campaign with there is also There is also definitely a thing where you're not using... We were using Kickstarter to raise the money to pay the people to make the book. <laughs> Plenty of people don't do that, and they, you know, I've done Kickstarters for publishers where they were going to pay for the book regardless, and this is just a way to get fan engagement and get people interested in the book. But, uh, but yeah, there are there are a lot of ways uh, there are a lot of ways to use it, and I think that, you know if if Kickstarter if everything on Kickstarter was one company. It would be the third line. It it's, wouldn't be bigger than Marvel and DC, but it would be around it's be the same. It's, it's been growing rapidly, and I'm not, yeah. I'm not trying to be a Kickstarter. It's like more like no, a no, crowdfunding it's... zealot. Um, it's the fact that again, going back to what you're saying, you won't put your eggs in multiple baskets. You want to, you know, make yep. sure that you're, you know, being part of all the new emerging things that are happening because there's going to be something new that's going to be coming in the next, you know, the next six months. There'll be a new big thing. There'll be a new, you know, VC company. I can honestly say Sounds that like it's going to be Pepos. So. <laughs> yes, I, I can honestly say that I had QVP. Not, I had not heard of whatnot until this weekend. Okay. I had, I personally had not. Heard, it's it doesn't impinge on what I'm doing, so it it hadn't come up. And you guys have all talked about it. I've seen friends of mine doing, you know, fundraising on whatnot, whatever, and I I was not familiar with it. You oh my know. gosh, you could sling so many Venturella books. I've seen oh. those covers. Yeah, no, that's, that's, that's probably true. You can also use it to clear out a storage unit. I also recommend it for that if anyone's moving. Oh, <laughs> well, but, and then it comes, comes back down to the thing that I think is great about Whatnot is it becomes your personal strength. Like you can do events for other people, but it's a way to brand yourself. And I think going forward, personal branding is important. It's very important. And the fascinating thing streaming on whatnot that I've experienced is I can sit at a convention at San Diego Comic-Con, the, the uh, Super Bowl or whatever other sports, sports. sport <laughs> metaphor you'd like to use. All-star game, I think. I can sit at a table for four days and I can go on to whatnot concentrating those people who really want my work. And in one hour, I can blow away what I, what I would make in four days at the biggest comic convention in the world. Yeah. And that's just because you're focusing people into what they want. You know, in an hour, they can sit down instead of hand selling for four days. Yeah. And that's been such a dramatic change and, for me. And there are, there are plenty of people in this world who can't do this for four days. 
for right. all sorts of reasons. Who can't physically, you know, there are reasons people can't attend cons, and those are perfectly valid. And to be able to have those tools and to use all of the tools. And that, that's, that's really the key. I think going forward for creators, the best thing I would advocate is it's about having a plan, having some kind of synergy. So if you're going to San Diego, have something else planned. You're going to do your whatnot stream there. I have a San Diego exclusive that's also part of the Kickstarter I'm running right now. So both things are feeding off of each other. You have to think, you can't think of it, it's just done this way. Mm -hmm. You need to take advantage of all the different streams and figure out how that's going to work into your business model because you are a business and you are a brand. That's also a great way if you have a creative team or partners who you work with a lot that you can expand in that way so that mm -hmm. if you're as amazing as Charlotte, you can have your fingers in all the pies or if you're like me and you like working with somebody else, they can also help you make sure that you're maintaining the highest level of quality and the most accurate branding across all those platforms. Yeah, I mean, I did. You know, the, we're we're getting close to time, and I, I, I always uh, advocate, evangelize for comics as a community, mm -hmm. and uh, you know, the, the the Kennedy joke: ask not what uh, comics can do for you, but ask what you can do for comics. And the the more you engage with the community, and the more that you are giving to the other members of your community, the better you're going to do. Um, the ability to help each other, to promote one another's Kickstarters, to be in anthology books that friends of yours are uh, are kickstarting, uh, it creates that community, and it's uh, it's a beautiful thing to be part of when it works out. Comics, it's a team sport. And, yep. You know, we've got a great team up here. More sports. Come on, we're in comics. It's, it's a dance troupe, and we all have to Thank move you. in concert with each other to make sure we don't step on each other's feet, but we present something Charlie. beautiful together. It's just poetry, Charlie. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Yeah. Well, you know, yeah. We, we have the, the, the Avengers uh, sitting up here of the creator world. One of the, the savage Avengers. Avengers. Well, we <laughs> and we usually like to wrap up by uh, asking everyone where can they be found? Where can the audience find them? Yeah, um, you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Pepos D. It's my last name, first initial, or David Pepos Comics on Facebook. Uh, or you can subscribe to my newsletter, Pep Talks, at bit.ly slash pepnews. Uh, or visit my website, davidpepos.com. Great title. And surprising no one, you can find me on Whatnot. Um, yeah, my Whatnot handle is at David Boer. You can find me on Instagram at David M. Boer. And you can find me on Twitter at David Boer. Boer actually gets paid five dollars every time he says whatnot. So. <laughs> I didn't what? what whatnot. I didn't hear. I didn't hear that. He, whatnot. Yeah, it's funny every time he gets me to say it. So. <laughs> whatnot. 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 Uh, you can find me on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok at Ashley V Robinson. The V is very important because Ashley Robinson is a six foot five WNBA player. I want to beat in the SEO. Uh, you can find my website and all my comics at AshleyVictoriaRobinson.com. Uh, if you're going to be in L.A., you can see me live on stage coming up later yes. this year. Uh, and listen to my podcast, Geek History Lesson. We have over 400 episodes, and most of the people here have been on it. So wait, where? The other what, ones will be. What, what are you doing on stage in Los Angeles in the next six months? Uh, it hasn't been announced yet, but in March I played Medusa, and you can find me wearing pictures of that costume in my underwear on my Instagram. <laughs> well, that's a that's a sale right there. Uh, Done. Yeah, yeah. I am I am not in my underwear on my website, but I'm rethinking that right now. So, um, you know, if you are here in the audience tonight, you can find me at L10 uh, and the rest of my team with 
with Connor and Nick will be at the White Ash booth there and also at the Immortal Studios booth. And I'm trying to remember, it's 2000. Peter, what's your booth? 2102. I will also be there signing. Uh, you, and if you were listening to this, you can find me on Twitter at Charles Stickney at Twitter. Uh, I am at Ryland Grant on all forms of social media. That is R Y L E N D G R A N T. If you are listening, uh, I always spell it because it's not a real name. My parents drunkenly arranged letters and saddled me with it, so now I have to spell it for you. Um, I can be found uh, at the Immortal Studios booth all weekend, uh, 2102. I will be at the Immortal Studios panel tomorrow. Um, and, uh, you know, otherwise you'll see me bouncing around causing trouble. And this episode of the podcast will run Wednesday? Uh, yeah, I'll probably run Wednesday and probably finish on. Oh, sorry. Galarian is also live on Kickstarter right now. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, we'll, we'll put it in the show notes. Nice. Go get Galarian. And uh, I am David Avaloni, a name that uh, was easily I was easily teased for as a child. But, you know, in the age of Google, it's a very good thing to have an unusual name. Uh, I am, I think, the first nine pages before you. There's, the second guy is uh, Lieutenant David Avalone, a, a Gulf War veteran and lawyer. He seems like a very nice guy. But he will not sell you any comic books. He's not um, on Whatnot? He's not. He, he might be on Whatnot, actually. Uh, yeah, but you can find my, I have a website. Grandpa has a website, uh, davidavalonefreelance.com. That links to all of the various social medias. And our show, The Writer's Block, is every comic book day, every Wednesday. I have another podcast that I host called Pulp Today, which is mostly re me reading from crumbling paperback novels and talking about them and tying it all up, day drinking. Uh, and if you're at... Uh, <laughs> it's the best podcast I've ever heard of. Right? Ever. It's, it's, really, it's just watching me drink. You have the, paper, the tattered paperback and it's upside down. <laughs> <laughs> the bourbon there. Hey, it's look, 10 a.m. Gather around. Yeah. I, I, like will, I will say that every, every time I sit down and I'm recording one and it's like 10.30 in the morning, Augusta, my wife, is like, you know, you don't, you could put, you could Dean Martin this. You could put ginger ale in the glass. <laughs> it can and I'm be like, a I am committed to my craft. <laughs> the people are coming to see me drink and read, and I am going to damn well really drink. He's not I open to notes. Once, I, <laughs> I don't remember which, this is a scavenger hunt. Find the episode in which I'm actually drinking water. Um, but aside from that, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for listening to the writer's block and watching it. And we'll see you on the next exciting episode. Thanks, guys. If you're watching us on YouTube, be sure to smash that like button. If you're listening to us on Apple Podcasts or other fine purveyors of ear crack, please leave us a five-star review. And wherever you're watching and or listening, subscribe, subscribe, subscribe. We'll see you back here next week for more Madcap Hijinks on The Writer's Block.